Hello, hello. On today's show, we're going to be discussing how to have a more empowering relationship with some of the people who trigger us the absolute most. Today's show is all about parents. Welcome to the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast, where we focus on bridging your success with fulfillment in your personal, business, and spiritual life. And now your hosts, Scott Berry and Joshua Wenner. Whether we care to admit it, our parents have had such a big influence on pretty much all areas of our lives. The most common one, obviously, is your relationships. They tend to have some type of bearing on your past, your present, and definitely your future relationships, but also the viewpoints and the blueprints that they had in other areas, such as religion, finances, political views, to how they eat their food. And depending on your emotional reaction to a lot of these items, you're either going to subconsciously follow into some of those similar traits or you'll pull away from those traits. But regardless of how you kind of interact with those, having some type of conscious recognition of the influence that they have in your life is pretty critical to recognizing them and then to evaluate them, bring them into an empowering manner. And what I have found, um, not only in my own life, but in a lot of my clients and friends, that this typically seems to come up a lot in regards to really being triggered by maybe unresolved actions or unresolved conflicts with your parents. And your parents tend to be the people that really trigger you the most. You know, there's an amazing quote by the now departed Wayne Dyer. And he, he said that if you think you're all grown up and spiritual and doing a lot of work on yourselves, go home for the weekend and see how you sit with your parents because all of your shit really kind of comes to the comes to the forefront. So today we're going to dive just a little bit deeper on our relationship with our parents, how to have a more empowering relationship with your parents, if that's something that you are even been have a desire to move into. A lot of us may have not had the best relationship with their parents. They feel that by making that conscious choice of not keeping them in their life supports their highest good. And I'm fully 100% supportive about that. But what I will say is whether they're deceased, whether they're in your life, whether they're not in your life, they will always have some type of presence and some type of energy in your field. And so being able to lovingly embrace that so you can have a better relationship with your parents or have a better relationship with yourself because there's unresolved issues about uh, forgiveness and maybe old stuff, patterns and behaviors that um, this just allows us to live a more fulfilled and to be honest, a more freeing, a more freeing existence in general. You know, it's a really good point, Scott. I think another area that's really interesting to take a look at is I think much of our life is, you know, part of the journey is figuring out self-love, determining self-love with ourselves. And uh, many times uh, I have a lot of friends whose parents have had, they've come from pretty trauma, uh, you know, traumatizing childhoods where their father left early or something, something really bad happened and they have a lot of resentment towards one of their parents. So even if your parents aren't necessarily in your life now, 
sometimes taking a look at some of these areas and learning to reduce some of our triggers in those areas. Many times I've found that some of the same struggles that we're faced with are some of the same struggles that our parents were faced with. Uh, I have a good buddy whose um, father left um, years ago um, when he was very young and he had some resentment towards his father. He's done a lot of work to be more at peace with it, but he found even in his life, he was struggling, uh, kind of looping this pattern. He made a bunch of money and he still was kind of unrest, uh, didn't feel a sense of like fulfillment. He was like always trying to fill, fill the next door and ended up losing money doing this and doing that and was beating himself up and kind of going through some struggles. And when he actually took a look at his father and the, the path that he was on, it was the same thing. There was something that his father felt like he wasn't enough. And so because he felt like he wasn't enough, he would go and try to gamble and ended up gambling and losing everything in the family, which is why I think he felt so much shame that he ended up leaving the family. So many times I think it's our own self-judgments and many times people feel so bad or so ashamed or they shame themselves so bad that they end up leaving because they feel like they're doing more harm than better. And then a lot of times we hold on to those resentments and because we hold on to them, we end up playing out the same patterns. So I love this topic because one of the things I've learned is whatever we don't learn, we keep passing down. And I think many times our parents Mm -hmm. are just taking what they learned and they're passing it down to us unconsciously. So there's these, there's these row of patterns that if we don't actually take a look at what, why are we wired the way we're wired and start to uncover some of these areas and actually go into the triggers versus running from them because we're irritated. um, I don't think we ever fully heal and we end up becoming our parents or the the things we didn't like or were triggered by, we end up becoming those to our our, our children. Yeah, I love that because I think you're exactly right. You have probably seen like I have in not only our our families and our extended families, but we've seen this with all of our friends where you'll find some of these same behavior. And it's not just negative behaviors, but you'll see these same patterns come down from generation to generation to generation. On the flip side, you'll also see you know, behaviors and patterns such as being very forgiving, being very financially fruitful with a big, you know, a nice financial blueprint, but really recognizing maybe the ones that aren't serving you. And the thing is, when we're born, we kind of come into this world as this very kind of open energetic being. We don't necessarily have the cognitive skills yet to really understand maybe what's going on on a cognitive level but we are very sensitive energetically to our environment. And what that energy is, is, is this world a safe place? Is it a loving place? Can I trust it? All of these start to happen. You know, studies have kind of been saying and showing us that it starts even before you're born, that it even starts in the womb. And so regardless of when it actually does start, it happens from a very young age usually at a point to where we don't have a conscious choice on how to live our lives. We don't have that conscious choice on who to bring into our lives. Our parents are in our lives, right? And so we are constantly being this energetic sponge, whether we realize it or not, we have had just a lot of imprint from our family. And I think one of the big takeaways on on today's show is going to be How do I find what has been influencing me and what has been, you know, kind of like pushing or triggering me in ways that I'm not aware of learning to heal from those or learning to embrace those with the whole intention of really gapping that relationship with yourself, gapping that relationship with your parents. And 
I can tell you that when you start to figure out where to put your parents in terms of how you want to bring them into your life and the type of dynamic and the type of relationship, then things really start to change. But this is one place that I can tell you from my own personal life, and I don't know if I brought up this story before on the podcast, but I'll I'll share it anyway for those who haven't heard, is that with your parents, this is a pretty big dynamic with mothers and sons and daughters and fathers. And for me... I had a very loving upbringing and very loving mother. I mean, she was just an amazing mom, almost to a fault, to a point where when I was stepping into my own individuality, at that time, what I had wanted was to express my own individual self. And she saw that as almost like a threat. And so she loved me so much, but she held on to me more and it felt more like a little bit of a suffocation. And what I wasn't quite aware of is that dynamic had started playing into my relationships as I entered into my late teens, into my early 20s, into my late 20s, to a point where I craved my individual self in my home. And I didn't get that. I didn't have the freedom to have the privacy to feel like I could express who I am, to feel like I could be who I am. And so in contrast, I had to almost hide and I almost had to like shelter pieces of who I am. And that pattern had shown up in relationships. And I can just remember getting the feedback of I don't know what it is. I feel that we have a great relationship. There's a lot of honesty in the relationship. I feel you're very sincere in the in the relationship, but for whatever reason, I feel like you're not being fully transparent, or that you're hiding something from me, or that there's something going on. And not to the point where they thought I was cheating on them, or it was anything really malicious, but there just was a kind of like a lack of full transparency. Like I just don't know exactly where you are and where you stand and exactly what's going on with you. And after getting this feedback from, you know, two, three, four different girlfriends, I started to really take a look at this and really come to realize that a lot of this had stemmed from my relationship with my mom and how it was really, really difficult for me to feel free around her. And it's funny, I even noticed that as I've, I feel like I've, I've healed a lot of this, I've done quite a bit of work on this, and I'm sure that there's still lots of remnants and um, you know still triggers that I still have. I do notice that when I go home, that whenever I get a phone call, I'll just kind of walk outside or I'll be just a little more protective about what I'm reading. And I catch myself doing that and I'm, I just realize it's like, wow, okay, that was a pretty, well, it wasn't obvious while I was actually going through my relationships, but it's a, it, it's a pretty obvious behavior and trait that I see now in which I carried from the dynamic of my parents and especially my mom. If that had such a deep impact, I keep thinking to myself, what else could have had such an impact on my life And where else is this running the show? You see, the subconscious runs the show. So where else is this showing up? And is it showing up in a a positive or is it showing up in a more detrimental space to, to my empowerment and to my fulfillment? So just a real interesting 
personal share, but I know that I'm definitely not the only one that has gone through through very similar aspects of that. And I know for a lot of people, what they'll usually do is they'll usually butt away and they'll be really private and they'll push people away or they'll do the opposite and they'll carry on that same behavior to the intimate relationships that they have in their life as well. And it may not be a romantic partner, but just anybody who is in a close proximity space with them that they may be a little more controlling because for whatever reason, that's what they attach to their definition of love. Because there was no doubt that my mom loved me. I know that. I just like, she's still like one of the most beautiful, purest women that I know. And she was such a a phenomenal mother. And so I had this weird contrast of like, wow, she didn't beat me and she she didn't do this. It was love, but it was an invasive love that didn't feel good to me. You know, it's interesting. uh, You made a comment earlier about everything being learned in our subconscious. And research shows that 50% of our patterns are learned by the age of five. And 95% of our patterns are learned by the age of 18. Mm. So you figure by five, I mean, we're barely developing our subconscious mind at that time. So by the time we're 18, you know, there's, we've basically decided who we are subconsciously and now we're fighting against it. And, you know, I know I have a lot of personal stories because I've been working on this stuff for quite a while, like you have Scott. And one thing that comes up is, well, two stories come to mind. I'll share one personally and then one that I saw in a child and it really showed me that same pattern. I'll share the child one first because... Um, I think it, it brings light to the, f- why do we want to change if we don't like, what's the whole point of doing this? Because if you don't change it, you're going to pass it on to your kids. And I think that's the motivation for me. Uh, I think that may be a motivation for you as well, Scott. And, um, I saw this child, I was at a, uh, a birthday party with one of my buddies. He was actually the lifeguard and we went over there and we were just hanging out and spending time. And one of the kids kept picking on the other kids and it was pretty obvious. He would yell at him. He'd kind of bully him around and, he was just like very, uh, it seemed like uh, emotionally abusive. He was yelling, he was screaming. Um, and the kids, one of the kids started crying and I walked over to the other kid and I started talking to him and I started saying, you know, it's probably not that he's mean or mad at you. Maybe he just comes from a bad environment and maybe you come from a really supportive environment. So he doesn't know how to behave. So instead of going off to say he's a bad kid or, you know, whatever that was more bringing awareness to the child that hey, it's not that he's just this way, but maybe he's been treated this way and he doesn't know any better. And that you've maybe come from a better environment where you're not getting that, so you know how to treat him better. And uh, that was something that took me a long time to learn is that a lot of times we're just basically regurgitating what we came from in our environment. And if somebody's needing to get love through uh, emotional energy, I I once heard something that there's only two forces. There's either taking love or giving love. So if something doesn't feel good and it feels bad, somebody's taking love. Um, and it's just a way of getting love and it's a way that they've found to do it. So in this, this context, here's this child that's in the pool yelling at somebody and the other kid feels bad. That kid unconsciously gets energy. Well, about just the time we finish talking, the dad walks out and literally starts screaming at the kid across the pool, treating him so bad. And it was just blatantly obvious that here this father was treating the kid like he's, I mean, just emotional abuse, yelling, screaming, get out of the pool. You're late. I mean, just. Uh, belittling him in front of the rest of the group. And it was very obvious to see he'd learned that pattern from his father and that's how he learned to treat other people. So for me, uh, something that I can think of that I can relate to was I was raised in a very loving family where we were constantly, uh, and to take a step further, how this works, my great grandfather was kicked out of the house at, at 16 with, you know, $10 in his hand. And he learned to survive through gambling and he was, he was in the casino business, but he was never around. So my father, um, his dad died very young. So my grandfather died very young. 
and the people that raised my father took him into hunting and fishing and things like that. But his father was never around. So he never got to experience the love and the support of family time and connection because his dad was always working because he had no money. So if you see the generational gap here, my great grandfather was raised with no money. So he valued money so tightly. He worked all the time to make sure he always had money and could give it, but didn't really understand the family dynamic. So then on my dad's being passed down, really craved the family dynamic and his father wasn't around. So he was around, but didn't focus as much time on the financial area. And so when we were raised, I think that's the only thing I remember a lot of fights around is it seemed like around money. So as a child, um, I think that's why I'm wired the way I'm wired is, oh, let me go fix the problem as a kid and I'll go out and be this achiever and I'll solve it. Years later, I observed myself at one point getting really angry and actually in the same physical response that I observed my dad as a child when it came to money. When he came to money, he would get upset and yell and scream when something was going on. And I could feel that energy in his body. It was just a fear going on, but all of a sudden it had been passed down to me. And I, I observed myself in this state of like, Oh, like, like something had gone on. I, I felt a sense of lack. I, I started to project in my head, all the things that were going to go wrong. And as I started to go through that, I could almost feel in my body, what wasn't going to work, making up scenarios, making up stories, freaking out. And I had to realize that that was a pattern that I was creating. And if I ever wanted to change it, I was actually in a relationship at the time that I became aware of it and she pointed it out to me and I'd realized I'd become the thing that bugged me actually about, that triggered me. So this whole conversation is what triggers us and the people we love the most and how do we actually end up loving those aspects in ourselves so we can have more peace or more build a better relationship with them. So I was triggered heavily by my father getting upset and never thought that I'd actually become it and then it wasn't until a girlfriend pointed it out to me, I'd actually become it. And when things weren't going right, I'd get upset and I'd, I'd get angry. Um, and I, it was more about a fear that I didn't know what we were going to do. And I had to consciously think about it. I had to interrupt my pattern when I was doing it. And I had to replace the pattern with something else. So I actually took it from Tony Robbins. There's a phrase he uses. It's, an, it's called an incantation about wealth and money. And um, I repeat that every single time I notice myself in a state of lack and I would catch it. I would just go and I'd repeat it again and again and again and again and again and again until I, and I'd change my focus. I changed my state until eventually it shifted. Um, it took a lot of work on a regular basis to, to kind of shift that energy. And one thing I noticed is then I was around my father and he went into that state, but because I had cleared it, I wasn't triggered anymore. Mm. And I think that's something that's really apparent. Like if you're around somebody and you're still triggered, it means you still have it. So yeah. you wouldn't be triggered yeah. when you clear it you're just at peace and there's just a neutral space with it. Cause you don't have the same trigger. And I was actually able to say, well, is, is that what you want? So I was able to interrupt his pattern. Cause he started to go into like, well, this is going to happen. And this is going to happen. And this is going to happen. I was like, really, is that what you want? Or what would you like? And I was able to create a new possibility because I was uncharged and it interrupted his pattern. And all, all of a sudden got him to go, well, maybe I'd like this and maybe I'd like this. And so I guess my whole uh, analogy is like, how do we actually do the work is first, you got to become conscious of it. And actually realize where you're triggered instead of running from it and thinking this isn't who I like or I can't be around them. How do you actually force yourself to look at it and say, okay, where do I do this? And how do I beat this myself? How do I love these parts in myself and heal this? And so then I can then be around the people that I love like parents um, and not actually not be as triggered. You know, I think that bears repeating. And I, I love the way you put that, Josh, how the whole idea of triggering is the fact that it's triggering something inside of you. And so the, the reason why you have an emotional response to it, the reason why you have some type of reaction to it is because it's something there to look at. And 
I love the way that you that you put that and the recognition of the pattern that have been passed down to you. And I think I'd like to ask you, do you think your your father is kind of aware of um, kind of the new paradigm shift now of these behaviors not shifting and, and coming down the, the line as much, if, if that makes sense? You know, I think it's it's a good question. I think our generation is actually much more open to looking at some of this stuff. I think their generation was very old school and like, yeah, it's just I'd the way it is. You know, it's just the yeah. way it is. It's mm-hmm. just the way you are. I mean, even in, into losing my brother, and I went on this whole path of trying to figure out if he's still here and psychics and channels and all this other stuff. I took my parents on that same journey with me when I went on it. And I remember him reading books about, you know, the other side and the afterlife and having all these crazy experiences. Mm. And it actually opened up all these doors with, he lost his mom at 16 and his dad at 21. So he lost both his parents by the time he was 21 and he never, it was just not in his frame. He just like, okay, they're gone and moved on. And so he was actually able to go back through and open up these different channels. So, yeah, I think, um, I think the awareness, the conscious awareness that we're moving into, um, not as many people are, Actually, I think have it in general. And I think once you have it and you bring the awareness to it, then they start to make sense of it. And I think that's the whole point. With patterns, we're all molded a certain way. I think that's the irony. It's like, what can you not control? Here's here's how I typically find it. I have this quote that I love. It's, you know, it's our patterns that sculpt our souls and craft our characters. And I really feel like it's so true. Like when you look back on your life, the things you couldn't control, I'll give you an example. Uh, a really good friend of mine, she went through, I think, four different fathers and so she had a lot of resentment built up against men and against primarily her, her main father who drank a lot, was never around. She felt he was just not there. And she had a lot of resentment. She was really angry. And it carried through in her, as you talked about, Scott, earlier, intimate relationships. And when we started talking through it a little bit more, one of the things she came to is because of that, she was raised in that environment. She actually grew up in another country and she left really young. And she just like wanted to get out. She was very independent very strong woman and left out and basically created her whole life here in America. She's thriving. She's very successful. And one day we were going back looking through it and we started to look back to the patterns and would she have done the same thing if she was cultivated in a really loving, supportive, healthy environment? Maybe, maybe not. But what she began to realize is because of how she was raised and the parts that she was actually judging and angry and and mad at that had sculpted her in a way, which made her very strong, very powerful, um, very, very independent, all the traits in her that's allowed her to have a lot of success um, were formed from it. So even though she's still triggered and maybe she wished her father was around, there's a part of her that was sculpted through that pattern or through that experience. And the more we talked on it, I think she felt deeply that her father had a lot of self shame and judgment on being not around and not being the father that he wished he would be. So she was able to actually move through a lot of that energy. And I know it it freed her up in relationships. Thank you for that share and that story, Josh. Uh, quick question for you. Regarding that story, I have heard and seen a lot of people who have done exactly what you have just described, where they'll take something that may have not been a positive experience and they'll take, um, you know, they'll basically take it and use it as motivation to shift and to actually use that as fuel to actually go the other way. You know, I mean, you take a lot of people that have maybe gone through abuse or sexual abuse, and it almost becomes their mission that I want to make sure that as long as I live, that I'm going to help as many people as I can to make sure this never happens to anybody else again. What would your opinion be or your feedback be to 
people who have maybe gone through similar items like that and maybe want to change their behavior, want to change their pattern, but either they feel stuck or they're not consciously aware of it. And do you also think that's possible for anybody to actually kind of move into? And if so, like, what do you think the possible criteria is for someone to do that? Yeah, great question. So I feel like life sculpts us the way that we're sculpted. Like it's, it's, it just happens. And a lot of the things that sculpt us the most are the things we didn't ask for. And that's really how we've been molded. Uh, So much of the time we're left to heal those areas of our life. And because it sculpts us in that way, it's actually what we're trying to help heal. So it's almost like my understanding of some of these patterns is it's actually part of our Dharma. It's part of our life purpose, as you will, in healing that. And uh, a lot of them comes from our own resentment or shame or feelings that we develop or things that like the example you gave, if somebody was abused as a child, they, they didn't, they didn't ask for that. They didn't control it. They didn't, it just happened to them. And because of that, yeah. it formed them a certain way. It's, it's formed certain identities, certain patterns, certain p- parts of who they are and how they operate and see the world. So the recognition of that, learning to love those parts of ourselves, because a lot of times when trauma happens, we form these parts of our identities and ourselves to protect ourselves. And a lot of times those identities are actually sabotaging our relationships now in our life. So like as a child, I have, I have a client who, uh, when she, her father would, you know, sneak into bed and molest her when she was a child. And there was a part of her that was, even though at some point it felt good, she would turn away. So there was this, there's push and pull within her because even though she felt it was wrong, I mean, as as a child, there's a part of her that felt it felt good too, but it was wrong. So there was a push pull in in her. And now years later, she's in relationships and she's finding there's a push pull because every time it starts to feel good, she pushes away. So in learning to heal those parts of herself and becoming conscious, I think the steps are first, the conscious awareness that what's going on. And a lot of times we blame ourselves and we stay stuck in this blame game and we make ourselves so wrong. That's Mm -hmm. to me the, the last way to do it. So the first step is in becoming conscious aware. Okay, what's going on? There's a pattern happening. As I start to become consciously aware of it, how do I start to love those areas, not resist them? So when something's wrong, we typically shame parts of ourselves. And I like to give them identities. I play a fun game with it. I give it an identity. I typically find there's so many parts of ourselves. If we're always referring to me, 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 it's really hard to see different aspects. But if I start to give them names, and I originally got this from Tony Robbins, where he would do an intervention with somebody and he would you know, say, when you're in a relationship, um, who would you meet? And she'd be like, Jasmine, <laughs> you know, and she'd be all feminine and flirty mm-hmm. and, you know, and well, who have you become now? Well, now I've had a child and now I'm a mother and the, the chemistry, the passion had stopped. So he would, in order to help their relationship, he'd say, well, you got to bring more of Jasmine out and to cultivate the relationship. And the same for the husband that he was doing an intervention with, where he'd become the father that was responsible and he used to be the bad boy. So they still have those identities in them, but how do they bring those out more? The same holds true with trauma. The the woman I spoke about a moment ago, when she was a child and that happened, an identity came out in her to protect herself, which became very guarded, very inquisitive, very like trying to figure out what's wrong in the situation. Because she felt like the part of her that was this open, free, feminine, fun, go with the flow woman couldn't handle it, if you will. So then years later, she's in a relationship and the side of her would come out that would be inquisitive, self-sabotaging, all these traits. And we all go through this. We all have it in different parts of our life where this part of us comes out to try to protect us. We don't see that it's trying to protect us and we make it wrong. And as we make it wrong, we like try to put it in the closet. And as mm-hmm. we put it in the closet, 
it already is thinking you can't take care of yourself. That's why I'm here. I'm going to make it, I'm going to help you. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and louder and louder and louder. So what I've found is the first step is starting to love it. First step is starting, first step starting to become aware what's going on. And then it may have been formed from something that when we were younger. And then as we start to discover that, then we can become more conscious of what are those parts of us that we're not allowing to come forth or we're pushing down or hiding. And how do we learn to love those parts? How do we learn to, to create space? Almost like if we have a bunch of friends in a room, bring one of the friends in that we've been pushing out, continually pushing out and give them a voice and say, Hey man, I know you've been wanting to come out. So come forth. Thanks. You know, I want to listen to you, but somebody else is going to lead now. And mm-hmm. it's almost like if we don't give them the space to talk, I find, yeah. I find that they keep trying to force their way in because they think they're trying to protect us. And I'm, I know I'm talking a little bit vague because I'm talking about identities and I'm talking about these different things, but I found it's really hard to navigate those patterns in ourselves and those parts of our lives that come up and we really shame them hardcore. Uh, just another story I'm thinking of as we're talking about this, somebody never had any trauma. They weren't sexually abused, but there was no passion in the relationship. And I know a number of couples struggle with this. And the further we talked, she was raised in a very um, alcoholic family or whatever she did, it, was, it never could fix it. And unconsciously, she blamed herself thinking, well, whatever I do, it's not going to fix it. And so there's a self of self, non-self love, like no matter what I do, I can't, I'm not enough. So again, there's like, there's so many stories that, that dictate our lives. And because she wasn't acknowledging that part of her felt that really felt like she wasn't enough, she was numbing it, pushing it down, hiding it, making it wrong, beating herself up. And that really, that self, that self beat up mode pattern is that same thing I'm referring to. We all beat ourselves up in certain areas. And the key is it's usually unconscious. We don't realize where we're doing it mm-hmm. or we blow it off and push it off. Like it's no big deal. If we start to actually go into those areas and love those areas and be gentle, there, there's a lot of gifts in there. There's the parts of us that were sculpted. They're usually the parts of us that came out to protect us when we were children or when we were younger. Back to our initial conversation, when we're in those areas of subconscious beliefs, these areas were formed through usually an experience that was traumatizing. And it came out to protect us then. And now years later, it's still trying to run the show. And unless we are gentle with ourselves and love those sides... Um, and start to become curious how they were formed and how they served us then um, and how they developed us, but then consciously choose a new side to run the show, I find it's really hard to move out of those because we stay stuck in the loop. And then as we stay stuck in the loop, that's why we're triggered. We're triggered because we're so we're judging ourselves so hard. We judge them so hard, so they trigger us. But if we learn to become really gentle with ourselves and really loving, we're able to become really gentle and loving with those that have the same pattern because we get it. We're like, oh, they're struggling just like I am. They're, they're beating themselves up just like I am. They're in the same challenge. We're all in this to challenge together. And they're, they're in that same, same process. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you correctly, it's a lot of times, you know, given parts of the story that, that you had just discussed, that a lot of times what people will do is they'll bring on these new aspects of themselves. They'll bring on these new identities. And for a lot of people, these identities, and I would say for a good chunk of, of what these identities kind of come to surface for, it's for survival. These identities are there to make sure that you get past this and that you are a survivor and that you can get through it. And for a lot of times, that personality, that alter ego, that side of you served a purpose. I think as we start to get older, we start to realize that there's still a part of that in us and part of our process is to to recognize it to love it and to honor it for who it is 
and what it is and the fact that it was there to initially save us or protect us or shield us or whatever the the case may be. And, you know, I guess the next step would be to, I guess, lovingly, I guess it wouldn't be lovingly dismiss it. Would it be possibly lovingly um, acknowledging it, but maybe acknowledging that's no longer serving you or and I guess I'll ask you, what's the best way for someone to actually see that, honor it, and then move forward from it? Is it something where you realize, hey, this is not a part of me anymore, but I still know that it's there, so I'm going to honor it? Or is it, hey, this is gone, I'm pushing this away, it was there, it's not there anymore, or is it always there, but it's just not going to be a voice or kind of a driver if you will. I, I think there could be multiple ways to do it. I think any of those ways may work. I know for me personally, I tried the approach initially of radically trying to interrupt patterns, interrupt things. And I found through a lot of work with this grief work that I do, I'd actually shamed it and made it wrong. And in trying to say, you're gone or this part of me is done, I'd actually just hidden it and I'd covered it up. So for yeah. some people, they may be able to just walk away from them. I found what works best for me is really learning to cultivate it and love it and just be like, hey, I'm, it's almost like... Yeah, the loving part I think is pretty critical. Just to acknowledge it and to not and to not make it shameful and to not make it wrong. It's like seeing it. It's like it's like having a bad day and observing that you're having a bad day Yeah, and observing it. And I think part of the observation stops, in a sense, it allows you to be with it and be present with it yeah. instead of numbing, hiding, which that's what a lot of it is. A lot of as soon as we make it wrong and don't listen to it or think, oh, this side's coming up, no, it's gone. A lot of times I find we try to cover it up through a numbing or through something that's cover up. And as soon as we're covering up, we're not giving it a voice and it gets louder. And I think that's the part. It's almost like if we're if we're not acknowledging one side of ourselves, we're projecting or we're attracting things to us yeah. to show us that part of ourselves that we're yeah. not loving. But if we love that part of ourselves, then we don't it, it shifts. The energy shifts. There's yeah. not the need to because yeah. a part of my belief is that we live in a world where we're attracting or finding things that are helping us discover our love for ourselves we're helping to open ourselves and and to be more whole if you will and in that journey the things that we start to show up or things that we start to attract i think shift because we're not having to repeat the same patterns because we're learning to love those parts of ourselves. so i've also noticed in my own life how even with the example that i just shared with my mom when there are certain things that have you know even shown up in my marriage (laughs) where i wouldn't say maybe where I was going to Michelle, even though I had nothing to hide, she would say, Hey, so where, what, uh, you didn't tell me where you were going. I, it it seems a little weird. It it just seemed a little like off that, that you didn't mention it to me. And and I would catch myself and I would realize it's like, Oh fuck, there's that behavior that's popping up from mom. Were Were you triggered when she would say that? Would you get triggered or you just notice it? Yeah. So I wasn't triggered in an angry light, but I was, um, I was triggered from an internal stance of, wow, I, I can't believe I just did that again. So not triggered in a, in a bad way, but it did spark something in me. So yeah, so I was triggered. I was just saying when you first started to become aware of it, how did the first awareness come about? Like, was it something she started to mention to you that that's the way that you do it? Or when she would ask, did she start asking you and you're open to sharing or not open? I'm just curious of like how it initially started. Cause some people started as trigger. It sounds like this might not necessarily be like you were irritated because she was asking you. It might've been like she asked you and you started to go, what, where did this form from? Why am I doing this? Yeah. So, so with Michelle, I wasn't 
triggered in a, in like a negative fashion. Um, I think because I had been looking at this for so long, like if for over and over, I mean, I can't even tell you how many relationships this has showed up on. And so it's, it slowly started to get diffused after a while. So it got to a point where I was still aware of it. I think if anything, I was shocked that it all almost came up. I was like, Oh my God, that's still there. And so then I realized that this whole work is always a work in progress, right? It's the art. It's the art of fulfillment. So it's the ongoing process of learning how to step into to more empowering behaviors. But yeah, at that point, it was more just like, oh, wow, I, I'm surprised that's still there. And, and it, quick question on your yeah. on your initial one. You said multiple relationships. Was there triggers in earlier relationships? Yeah, when, absolutely. Okay, so this, so this is how it afford, And I'm really glad you're bringing this up because it shows... Sometimes these parts of us, they don't go away. They still stay in us. We just learn how to be with them. It's almost like a roommate in a sense where you're like, you still have that part of you that was formed. But in the first ones, you were really triggered, like upset and angry, maybe reacting. As you started to unravel and get, why am I angry? What's going on? Did you make progress and progress and progress to now years later with your wife? Now there's not this big trigger of anger, but it's more like, oh, I got to acknowledge this part of myself that's naturally been formed this way. Yeah. Absolutely. But, but see, now it's a, it, now it's a different context. Whereas before it was like, okay, how do I get over it? How do I, how do I get past it? How do I hold it down? It wasn't, you know, almost like what we talked about earlier. It wasn't, oh, how do I just lovingly acknowledge it and, you know, say that, oh, it, it benefited me and how to like, that's a very higher enlightened spiritual way of looking at it. And like, that wasn't my framework back then. And so back then it was more just about getting through the relationship, not being triggered, not getting so upset and feeling free in the relationship. But now, now it's a little bit of a different dynamic, but now I realize that there's a good chance that that will always be there. But what I have noticed is that when it does get triggered, it comes up and it's out really fast. And I'm like, Oh, that came up again. And it's almost comical at this point. And I'll reference these little things to, to Michelle, but I just realized that it's like, wow, yeah, this is, this is still a part of me. And, you know, these little things come up and because I'm, I'm a little more aware of it right now, it, and I'm looking into expanding family and all these other things, just like what you talked about earlier, I'm more conscious about really wanting to make sure that I don't pass anything down, anything like this, that I don't feel is serving to kids or family members or anything of that nature. But, you know, even on that context, it's like, you know, I look at the dynamic of my dad, my dad, who I have a, a, a really good relationship and a very similar story to what you talked about earlier. His father really wasn't around all the time and had died really early and was mostly brought up with, with his mom and, and my grandmother, who I love very dearly. And she never really remarried. So he didn't have this really strong dominant figure. And so that actually pushed him the other way. And my dad was at every little league game. You know, we went camping all the time. So it actually shifted the other dynamic. And so what's really interesting is we start to get to a point where we start to, to recognize the triggers of the unhealthy behaviors. But now on the flip side, I've taken my dad for granted for a long time. I've always loved my dad. But now when I see him do these things where he really goes out of his way, it's like I catch myself and I realize I was like, wow, he instilled these amazing behaviors and these amazing patterns. And I've become just a lot more grateful. And for me to actually take time to embrace that gratitude and to embrace that relationship, because 
even though he was always there, it's like, oh yeah, that's just that's just him and that's just what a dad does. But now that I'm becoming a little bit more cognitively aware of, you know, some of my behaviors and patterns that showed up in a relationship, that showed up in my dynamic with them, with money and all these other things, and really seeing the the ties and influence that he had, or even my mom, that she had on me that were in a really positive light, I tend to be more gracious about it and I tend to be more vocal with them about it. And I also think that has really improved my dynamic, not only with them, but with, with other people. And so I, I really try to to recognize the love and the gift that came through through all of these. Cause and just like you said, you know, there's beauty, there's gifts, there's potential there's potential healing in all of these different aspects of your life. But I think it stems from the place of of recognizing that, hey, look, nobody's perfect. All of these relationships come into our life, usually from at a temporary standstill, except for maybe your parents and a few other select people that everyone's here in your life to either show you how to love yourself a little bit more, how to heal something from yourself. And I think when you kind of come from it, from that dynamic, it, I don't know, it just kind of shifts your perspective and it helps you get through some of the harder stuff. I really, I really like what you said because a lot of what we're talking about is the patterns that trigger you that maybe make you upset or frustrated or angry or you're kind of dealing with. But the whole other side is what do we take for granted? What, what ways have we been mm. formed or what patterns do we have or who are the people that have affected us that have shifted these parts of ourselves that we don't acknowledge because they're just natural gifts and they kind of work? Or, you know, but where did those come from? And I think that may be a really healthy way to bring up conversation with family. Um, and going back and acknowledging them and telling them what we're grateful for on the positive ones and also telling them how we're moving through the other ones. Maybe bringing that awareness to them would be a really helpful hint. Yeah, absolutely. I become more conscious lately to acknowledge how much I love my parents, how much they mean to me and you know, how much I have grown because of them. And so whether they are in your life or not, you know, taking that stance of healing and when you come from a place that, yeah, even if they weren't the best role models, even if they weren't, you know, the best providers that hopefully they allowed you to become a stronger, more vibrant person, even if you had to work a hell of a lot harder, which a lot of us have had to do to really embrace that. So for those of you who out there and really struggle with your parents, you know, hopefully some of this conversation was helpful and we'd love to hear any feedback that you have feel free to contact us at the mastering fulfillment website on facebook or any other type of medium with much love and we will see you on the next episode us at masteringfulfillment.com for other podcasts such as these or if you're looking to take your personal fulfillment to another level feel free to get in contact with either myself or joshua Warner.